And so we, uh, we had our original launch team of 30 and that team also had a lot of, um, that was very special too because there was a lot of love and friendship in that team and a lot of um, understanding. So one of the blessings we had when we first planted is we planted with a group of people who already believed and trusted in each other and all also shared the same DNA. So even before we started the church, and yes, we did talk about our theology and our strategy and our practice, but a lot of us were actually, most of us were part of the youth ministry at some stage and uh, had abiding relationships. So I think if you can actually do a church plant with people that you know well and know you, that is a real benefit. everyone and welcome back to the episode two of the Shock Absorber podcast. We're in season two and here we are with my co-host Stu Crawshaw. It's great to be here with you again. It's great to see you too, Joel. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we are talking about preparing to launch a church yes. this time on this episode and you had a movie that you wanted to bring to bear on us with, <laughs> with how um, this kind of relates to how you're we were starting the church at the time in 2012. Yeah, I liked last season how you suggested the idea, why don't we talk about some of our favourite movies sometimes, and this movie came out in 2012. And the thing I like about this movie is it's got a bit of a uh, connection with church planning, I think. So the movie is Life of Pi. So if you haven't seen the movie, spoiler alert, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that movie. But basically uh, what I like about the movie is it, well, it's based on this uh, young boy uh, and he gets shipwrecked and he's on a boat and on the boat, there's all these wild animals. And so it just so happens through all these crazy circumstances that he gets himself into a lifeboat, but he's in the lifeboat with all these other animals. And there's all these different animals in the boat with him. And one of them is a tiger. And one by one, the tiger kind of gets rid of the other animals. And then there's just pie versus the tiger for the movie. It's quite a intense movie, but a lot of fun as well. Very good CGI for the time. Uh, and the, the idea was that he's just out in this boat in the middle of nowhere with this li- with this tiger, rather, and how does he keep himself safe? How does he go about getting through the situation? Well, again, spoiler alert, but he gets to the end and he gets saved. And the really cool twist in the movie is that you, you ask the question, were those animals actually in the boat? Was the tiger actually a tiger or was it actually a person? And he had some kind of repressed memory because it was too painful an experience for him to actually embrace the fact that it was people in the boat who were acting like animals in the boat or was it actually like um you know actually the animals but that that question gets left unanswered and i think the reason i like it with regard to church planning is not because of all that drama but the thing that i really think is uh difficult about church planning is sometimes you can feel alone sometimes you can feel like you're at sea you feel so small and it actually feels really fragile to be church planting so i just want to encourage anyone out there listening that is church planning uh my experience is uh, even though you can try and you know plan through stuff, which we're going to talk about today, and you're doing it together with a launch team, you can you can actually just feel really vulnerable and actually quite small, and and you could feel like the whole thing can just tip over at any moment sometimes. But it's just really good to be continuing to remember in church planning that God is gracious and kind, and He's the one that we're serving, and He's looking after us. So yeah, that's that's the movie for today. And I suppose you found that that. Um, even though you probably did, you watch it before you planned. We planned the church. Oh, yeah, or did you watch it yeah, after. Yeah, I think so. But you found that as an encouragement to be able. Yeah, to it, actually, in retrospect, I sort of thought about it because, like, like we we've talked about, wouldn't it be good if we keep sharing movies in this season? And I thought, oh, that was around the time. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, being in a lifeboat out at sea, 
you feel very small and vulnerable. And I think sometimes church planning is like that. Yeah, it can be really hard. Yeah, I can understand why you would feel like that. I suppose that on reflection, I probably didn't think like that, but I wasn't the yeah. one that was leading the church. So. Yeah, yeah, like, that's yeah, understandable. Fair enough. Yeah, maybe it's a church leader thing. I don't know. But, yeah. you know, when you've been part of a church, those we were at Guy Anglican Church for 70 years, the church felt stable and it felt like more of a, I don't know, a luxury liner <laughs> or a really big boat, you yeah. know. And, you know, it, it, it's, you know, bricks and mortars, it's established. But when you've got a little launch team of 30 people and you don't have a place to meet and you don't know where the money's going to come from for the church plant and are we actually going to be able to pull this off? I don't know. And But it's actually a really lovely step of faith too. It's not about the drama. It's more about the the journey with Christ, knowing that He's um, you're doing everything in his strength is really cool. Yeah, well, we're going to, in this season, we can jump straight into it now, but, uh, sorry, this episode, but you um, wanted to touch on those things a lot today. Mm. So kind of last week we talked, oh, last episode we talked about how there was all these different ideas and how we were doing to try and put a team together and all that kind of stuff. But mm. after we had our week away in July, which was a real, a real planning session for us, mm. um, we were preparing to launch at the back end of 2012. Mm. And we talked about calling that a greenhouse. Um, can you talk, like, do you want to remind people of why you decided to call it a greenhouse at the time? Yeah, that's right. So as you said, Joel, the the group of us went away for a week away and that was something we'd done for years in the youth ministry where we'd enjoyed a holiday away together where we'd um, have a talk a day and Bible studies each day, but we just get to hang out. Well, on in 2012, our week away, we spent a lot more time in groups discussing our theology and our strategy and our practice as we had been doing, really refining it just to think it through. And as we said last week, Matt Redmond had drawn that really cool triangle for us where we re- remember, if you listened to last um, episode, that the Bible is our authority and that we wanted to work out what traditions we'd bring with us um, in our case, Anglican traditions, both Anglican and, and I suppose all the soul revival uh, principles that we we developed over the last 20 years. And we also wanted to understand that we we're in a new cultural context in Kirawee across the road from a new development. So how did that look? So we spent a lot of time talking about those things. But then the next part of it is really um, we needed to start practicing our church services and we also needed to start building our ministry teams. So after a week away, they were our two priorities that we needed to to practice our services and build our ministry team so that we could be prepared for ministry to more people who could come along. And um, we called that a greenhouse because we thought about the fact that when you have a little plant that's not yet quite ready to go into the garden, you put it in a greenhouse. And so you water it and you fertilise it until the plant grows down deep roots and gets strong. And then once it's strong enough to go in the garden, you put in the garden out in the full sun and, and it will thrive hopefully. So we felt like what are the things about our church that still need to grow and develop before we're ready to put that church out there and go live and invite more people to come along. So, so that's why I we call it a greenhouse, yeah. Yeah, sorry. And I remember last week we were um, discussing a question from Riley and he talked about putting the small structures in place. Is that yes. kind of part of that greenhousing idea? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So... Um, we kept meeting at my place and we were looking for a place to meet. But while we were doing that straight after a week away, we started workshopping our structures basically. Yeah, what are the structures we need to put in place? What kind of structures were they, sorry? Well, as we as we said last week, um, a small church only needs small structures. And so the small tr- structures that we needed, um, which I think a church plant, a small church or a church plant is kind of like your first car. 
Um, we talked again about that last week too, that having a bit of fun with that idea. My first car was a Beetle, 1974 Beetle Superbug, which was terrific tangerine orange. It was oh, nice. the best. I thought it was just fantastic. But it only had really enough room for three people really in the car. So, you know, but that was fine for me because I didn't, you know, I just had to drive me and my friends around and, and my girlfriend around in the car. And so I didn't need a lot of structure. And so it worked fine for me. Um, so I think a, a smaller church, it's good not to over-engineer it to start off with. It's good to put some things in place that you're going to need in the future as well. But ask the question, what are the structures we need right now so that we don't overdo that? And and putting structures um, for us were, were important to um, make sure that we could have some – we wanted to have an organic ministry, but we wanted to have some clarity around roles and things like that too. Yeah, okay. And so – I think I know that you've brought up before the there's um I think the five L's from Geneva. Do you want to talk about them? Is that something that was important at the time that was kind of guiding what you were doing with those structures? Yeah, well, there's a church planning group in Sydney called Geneva that um, we went to a conference back in the day and we were listening to what they were saying. You need to have as a as the structures of your church, and I, I think you're right that they're they're um the the L's they called them were quite helpful, and and I think um, pretty much as I remember. They talked about leadership, launch team, location. They made a joke of this one, lots of money. Lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> Not just money, but they made money and L by saying lots of money, so that was funny. <laughs> uh, and legals. So those, again, were leadership, launch team, location, lots of money, and legals. So it might even be fun just to talk about those Yeah, I was going to say, do you want to break them down things? and yeah, how that applied to our situation at the time? Yeah, so, so looking at the Geneva categories and if we don't need to overdo the structures we only need small structures but if we look at leadership well we had uh, really a great um, leadership partnership in the Redmonds and the Crawshaws so Matt Redmond and Lauren uh, and Louise my wife and myself um, Matt and I were the founding pastors of Sorrel Revival Church and we'd signed up as we said in the last episode to ENC and so as founding pastors we were then the leadership core of the church. And what was great about that is often church plants start with one leader or you know, a couple, uh, but we had two couples. And so having two, two pastors and two couples leading together was actually really, really special. Uh, Matt and I had been friends for a long, long time, for 20-something years. And Lauren and Lou had been friends for a long time too. And what was really lovely about that was that we really believed in each other and really trusted each other and we were really excited about trying to uh, work out how to take the youth ministry we'd both been involved in and actually see if we could put some of those principles into practice. And because uh, Matt and I had been ministering together in Soul Revival for a long time at Gaimer Anglican Church, we were able to have that relational strength in our, uh, our partnership, our, our leadership there together. And so a lot of the ideas that were generated in our leadership team were just really naturally embraced by the rest of the launch team too but yeah that leadership team was very precious to us and because we loved each other so much and we're so uh, wanting to do this together it was really good but one other thing I want to say too is a cool thing about Matt and I doing this and Lauren and Lou partnering with us as we did this is that both Lauren and Matt and Lou and I independently both sat down and said do we want a church plant and so Lou and I would talk about it and we thought yeah we, we want a church plant we want to take up this idea that um, we could church plant and Matt and Lauren thought about it too and they decided that they'd do it and then so that neither of us were kind of talking the other one into it or saying oh come on you should do this it was really like we gave each other super freedom and that was really helpful but then because you, you did that separately but then came together there was probably more excitement 
in terms of like, yeah, we can do this together. And you've been working together for so long. So. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. Uh, the launch team, that's the next L. What, how did we gather the launch team together? Yeah, well, last episode we talked about the fact that we, I think we're fairly unusual in that we didn't actually approach anyone to join the launch team. We actually waited to see who wanted to come. And you, you and um, Karen came along and said, hey, we want to join. Yep. And so we, uh, we had our original launch team of 30. And that team also had a lot of um, – that was very special too because there was a lot of love and friendship in that team and a lot of um, understanding. So one of the blessings we had when we first planted is we planted with a group of people who already believed and trusted in each other and all also shared the same DNA. So even before we started the church – and yes, we did talk about our theology and our strategy and our practice – but a lot of us were actually, most of us were part of the youth ministry at some stage and uh, had abiding relationships. So I think if you can actually do a church plant with people that you know well and know you, that is a real benefit. And it's not to say you can't do it with people who don't know each other, but it's important for you to give, that, give, the, give time for the relationships to grow. And maybe the relationships of the launch team are part of what the greenhousing time gives the church plant for that new church to get some of its strength. It's partly having that opportunity for the leadership and the launch team to really trust each other and be focused on serving Jesus together. Have the same why. Like, why are we doing this? Well, we're doing this because Jesus changes everything in our case. But we all believed in that and we're really excited about that. And we all believed that there was a lot of people in the Shire that didn't yet go to church, so we wanted to plan a church for people who didn't go to church. So we all believed in that, for example. That was really important to us too. So if you can achieve that in a launch team, I think it's great. Yeah, cool. I'd be interested to see if um, you, you spoke about how having a similar DNA and pretty much being on board with the why. Mm. Did that um, kind of influence how we decided to have a, what we call service teams at that time? Mm. Yeah. Like, how, how is that affecting, like, going straight into the launch team, like being ready to go? Yeah, so when we're talking in this, in this greenhouse period preparing to plant, you've got this group of people who are a launch team. They're already on board with each other and... The other thing was that we're, we're really good friends. So that's another thing I'd like to suggest that is really valuable. If, you, if, if you're actually friends with each other, uh, that's, that's a really cool thing. So we weren't just friends because we had special interests in common. We were friends because of the gospel. So we then sort of thought, well, the way friendship expresses itself is often if you're friends with people around a special interest like surfing, say, you surf with your friends. Or if you're interested in music, you go to concerts with your friends or whatever it might be. Well, for us, we really wanted to serve Jesus together. So serving Jesus was a great expression of our friendship. Uh, it was a great expression of our love of God and love of neighbor. So the service teams for us were, were more than just um, important structures to help us to organize the ministry. It was actually a really fun way to help us to all have an opportunity to use our spiritual gifts to serve Jesus together. So I think that was really special. So we had that kind of excitement for what we called service teams and what we basically thought was well we we need to start working out how many ministries we're going to need in the church plant and then how we can get a team around each of those different areas and to start off with a lot of us were doing two or three things but over time we hoped that people could just specialize on some of those but at the same time as starting service teams we talked about always trying to capture the vibe that we are one team that we're all together as one team so that we wouldn't just um, compartmentalize out into different silos or or that we wouldn't uh, become clicky and separate from each other but yeah we thought we look we're going to need some uh, welcoming we're going to need an arts team to help us with uh, um, pulling off the 
the music. We're going to need preachers and readers and prayers. We're going to need kids ministry and eventually youth ministry and hospitality ministry to help us because we wanted to have dinner. So that's how we started to plan it. And so we asked people to think about, hey, what would you like to do? And people started saying, oh, well, you know, my wife Louise, for example, and Lauren, they said we'd love to be involved in helping to build a new welcoming team. So they, they did a fantastic job of that. Mm. Um, Matt and the others, uh, some of the other musos started the arts team together. And uh, so, yeah, that's sort of how things started to develop. Okay. And the third L is location. I can at least say that's Prison Avenue Community Church is where we first met. Yeah, we how did. How did that come about? We touched on it a little bit in the last episode. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was friends with the pastor of Prison Avenue Community Church, which was in Kirawee, not too far away from um, the new development that was being planned in Kirawee. And Tim and I had got talking, and Tim very graciously uh, agreed that it'd be great if we could use the the their church on a Saturday night. He was um, a, a very generous man, and his church was very generous. And so we started to practice our services at Preston Avenue Community Church. So that's where we started. Yeah. Um, I do remember setting that up. And how many? do you remember how many practice services we did? Well, I don't remember the exact number, but what we'd do is we'd practice one week, and then the next meet, week we'd meet again, and we'd just talk about what worked, what didn't. And then we'd practice again. Yeah. And then we'd talk about what worked, what didn't, until we started getting a bit more confident, and then we did it every week. But I'd say there was like, oh, I don't know, maybe it was over two months of it anyway. Yeah, okay. It's, it's so long ago, I can't remember, but <laughs> it sounds about right. Uh, next L, lots of money. Yeah. Did you have lots of money? <laughs> we didn't have lots of money, but there was a lot of generosity. That was very true. Yep. Um, the uh, Also from yourself and Matt too. Which you'd oh, well, yeah, yeah. We had to work out how to make it work financially. That's very true. So uh, earlier in the year, around March, we'd had a supporters night and we went to a local... Um, um, function venue, center, venue, venue, function yeah, center yep. uh, called Dalton House and basically we put on a lovely night a lot of our supporters came Bishop came and spoke um, Bruce Hall who was the head of evangelism and new churches for the Anglican Church which is our church planting department of the Anglican Church in Sydney Australia he came and um, spoke as well and then we did ask people to contribute now people were really generous and we basically got a great start that way but we didn't have enough money to pay two full-time staff so we definitely started from the very beginning, Matt and I, again with our wives, talked about this, but we both volunteered to go on part-time for for a while until the church grew so that we could help the church grow. And so we we had enough. We had enough to get by. But that is important as people ch- church plant to make sure that there is some thought about um, what what is, what is going to actually support the church, how much is the church going to need to do a bit of a budget. Uh, within the Anglican Church, we have a great opportunity to have uh, a parish council we call it where we have some wardens and some parish councillors who are charged in our churches to uh, to look after our financial situation be in charge of that and in our instance because we'd started with EMC in what was called a fellowship we weren't a full parish of the Anglican church but we're an Anglican church nonetheless but we'll call it an Anglican fellowship it meant that we didn't need that governance structure but we decided to put that into place from the beginning so right from the get-go we had a treasurer and we had wardens and we had parish councillors who were helping us to work out that, that we, we were very transparent in the use of our money and all our books were up and running. And I think that's really important in church planning to make sure that all that's in place. And that's building the structures that you're talking it about, is, even yeah. though they were very small, like you still got them in place. Yeah, yeah. And e- the good thing about it was, like, you're right, we didn't need all the structures of a church because ENC gave us some budgeting and, you know, financial management stuff. 
from their head office. But we still thought that if we're going to stand on our own two feet, we need to start putting all that stuff in place. Yeah. I just want to say also thank you for the graciousness that you and Matt expressed at that time for going on part-time. You didn't have to do that and you decided to do that because your heart was more for the gospel rather than how much money you were earning. Yeah, so we really yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, well, thank that. you. Yeah, but, but Matt and I have talked about that and how much we enjoyed it. So, yeah, yeah as, as we, we felt super privileged to be the founding pastors together and do that together with you guys. So, yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, the last L, legal. Yes. You're, you're a legal-minded person, Stu. <laughs> the legals are, it, it is important to think through that, you know, there are things like insurances. Um, we talked about the financial matters a little bit, but there's, you know, legalities around all that stuff like auditing books and things like that. Uh, whatever church planting people do, I think it's great to be part of a sending um, church planting organisation so that they can help you to set up good structures. Uh, I, I mentioned Geneva earlier. They help people who church plant to set up good structures too. There's other groups that are that are helping independent churches. But as an Anglican church, we were very blessed to be a part of the Anglican system so that if, if, if things went wrong, we were covered by insurance uh, from the Anglican system. And again, I think the reason Geneva focus on that being important is I think in the Russian excitement to start a church, sometimes you don't think of some of those more boring things around the edges, but they are really important. Uh, to have some external eyes on what you're doing as a church to help you to make sure you've got everything in place and you haven't forgotten anything. Yeah, cool. So we we mentioned that we started practicing services. Mm. Uh, it'd be easy for us to say uh, we started going to President Avenue Community Church on Saturday night because it was the only night available. Mm. But I think there was, a, there was a different reason that we also chose to do it. Do you want to expand on that and why Saturday night was important for us? Yeah, Saturday night was not just because it was the only night they had. Um, we've talked a number of times in the last season and also last week about the fact that with the shock absorber, we, we really felt like it was good to practice new ministry models in youth ministry and then see if any of those practices could translate into adult ministry. And in our story, the first season of the shock absorber tells the story of our youth ministry, how we adapted to cultural change and came up with new ideas. And through that experimenting, we found that the Saturday night expression worked for us in our context and that was really helpful for our mission and our discipleship and the saturday night gave us an opportunity to to do something new in youth ministry in our local church which was instead of run a youth ministry to be a group of friends that the young people could grow up into so even though we read we led young people and we were their leaders first we were also um, meeting as leaders as a group of friends on saturday night so that when young people got to the end of high school they they grew up into that group and became part of that group and so there was a lot of longevity in a relationship that way. So our idea, uh, which we actually got from Janelli Anglican, was that it would be really good for the, the relationships between leaders and their kid, their youth that they lead to grow over a number of years through high school. Janelli Anglican would start leading people on uh, year seven and all the way through to year 12. So we, we took on that great idea too that Cameron Hislop came up with at Janelli Anglican and we did that but then we thought wouldn't it be awesome also that as those leaders are following them through high school that when they graduate out of high school they can join a friendship group on a Saturday night and the reason we picked Saturday night in the 90s and the 2000s was because that was party night in our world and we were convicted by Matthew 22 37 to 40 that if you're going to love God and love your neighbor you you put God first and you serve your neighbor and put your neighbor first and so um, we've talked about that in a previous podcast but for us to love God 
uh, to give him his best, one of the practical things we thought of was, well, Saturday night's our favourite night of the week. Let's get together and read the Bible and let's encourage one another on a Saturday night and ask our non-Christian friends to come along. And then as the kids grow up, they can be part of it. So a really big part of Soul Revival was that Saturday night expression. So we still went to church on Sunday night and uh, we still led youth group on Friday and we still had Bible studies and other things like that. But we, we almost saw this as our social time where we'd hang out with each other. So when we started the church plant, we during the first uh, six months, we talked about do we still want to do Saturday night? And it was almost unanimous that everyone was like, yeah, that's the funnest part of our expression in a way that we get together as friends. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could work out how to do church on a Saturday night and hang out as friends as well? So the launch team was very connected. They, they were very excited to continue that. And they're also really excited about as people come in, we didn't want them to feel like um, they, they weren't part of our friendship group if they were joining after we launched. So we wanted to invite them into um, that idea, I suppose. And that Saturday night worked really well to help us with that. Well, and I suppose practicing the services would really help with that. What are some of the like the things that we had to work through in practicing those services? Yeah, like yeah. welcoming in that sense would be a really important thing. Yeah. And yeah. then I suppose we had to do a few other things like we like to do food, which is really important. Yeah, that's How right. Did, like what are those things that we those things that we had to tick off to make sure that we were going to really run smoothly to a certain yeah. degree well, well if the shock absorber principle was saturday night from the youth ministry we also thought some of the things we did on saturday night might transfer over too so this if, if the first stage of the shock absorber is young people working out new approaches the second stage is seeing what of those new approaches could work for all ages so we were really interested what are the things from saturday night that would work for all ages so obviously we've got kids we've got other different ages as older adults as well as teenagers and young adults as well see so what what we thought of is let's let's think of the format at at um guy Anglican church on a saturday night we'd have a thing called the commitments which was a gathering where we'd get together and talk about the church and uh, our lives together and pray then we'd have a dinner and then we'd have um open to anyone who wanted to come along and during that time we'd have a talk and sometimes on saturday nights we'd go all night till you know one in the morning like really late or even later <laughs> yeah, i remember exactly. getting home at like four o'clock in the morning well, as we got older yeah we'd do things like drive down to fairy meadow which was about for those of you who are not from around here it's about an hour away there's a great skate park and we'd skate around at night and stuff always appropriately we had you know lots of um, appropriate measures in place but yeah it was a lot of fun mm. but um what we did with the church was um we thought well why don't we start off with coffee as people come, the welcomers can be right next to where the coffee is. As they walk in, they're welcomed and they're offered a cup of coffee. And then we can have a good half an hour of people being able to mingle and meet people. And then after half an hour of coffee, why don't we then start the service and have a very simple service? So we practice with a one-hour service where we'd have uh, singing to start. Well, there was a welcome, then there was you know a song, and then we'd have confession. And then after confession, we would have... Um, announcements what's what's going on in the life of the community then we would have some time of prayer and then we'd have a sermon or bible reading and then the sermon and then we'd close with a song at the end and the service leader to wrap it up and we wanted to try and see if we could fit all of that into an hour so that we'd have an hour service and then after that hour so that would have you know we started at five o'clock then five thirty was when the service started at six thirty we then stop the service and what we did because we're in one room is everybody got up and got tables and chairs and we reordered the auditorium into 
a cafeteria, like a cafe. And we deliberately had long tables because we wanted people to necessarily be sitting for dinner next to someone they might not know. So you could sit with your family or your friends, but you'd necessarily be sitting next to somebody that you didn't know. And so while there were people setting up, we had people in the kitchen preparing the food, getting it ready for us. And during the service, what we did in those early days and we continue to do is while the adults were having coffee before church, we had the kids teaching time. So that was at 5 o'clock to 5.30. And then during church, we came up with a brand new idea we called Kids Chill. And the idea was that as the kids chilled out, parents could either bring their kids in to be a part of the service if they wanted to, but if the kids wanted to run around a bit, we thought, wouldn't it be great if all the safe adults actually took it in turns and went into the kids' space as well uh, as safe adults with coordination? And then those kids, uh, once that Kids Chill program had finished, would come together with us all and as a whole church we'd have dinner. And it was... It sounded a little bit complicated to start off with, but it actually went quite smoothly. And so we'd have coffee and kids teaching time, then we'd have the service, and then we'd have, while the service was on, there was kids chill, and then we'd all come together and have dinner. We'd line up, get our food, sit down, have dinner. And what that did was it said if people want to come right on the service time and just stay for an hour, they could come at 5.30 and leave at 6.30. If people wanted to have a coffee and then go home, they could leave at 6.30. If they wanted to hang around a bit longer, 6.30 to 7.30-ish, then they could have dinner with us. And if they wanted to, we hung out even later and there was a group of us that still hung out until uh, later on in the night. And we called that late night because it was later in the night. So that actually was a really cool adult and kids and youth expression of those early experiments that we had in youth ministry that we thought would work as a church. And so we started breaking down the service teams into those things. We're going to need a welcome team, a kids team, an arts team, a hospitality team. Uh, The kids team needs to organise us all into a chill team. There's the the hangout afterwards. Who's going to look after that? So people who had a passion for parts of that could actually get really involved in that. We also straight away started a thing called Ministry Slide where we said if, if people have been doing welcoming for a while but they feel a bit burnt out, they can slide out of that ministry. And, and if they wanted to, do welcoming and slide into kids ministry for a while they could change ministries as well so we developed all those things during that greenhouse preparing to launch time can you remember something uh when we were practicing at a time that we tried and then we're like oh no that doesn't work like just threw it in the bin exactly yeah when we first got there there was only 30 of us and we were all sitting in rows like a normal church and it just felt really weird and so we thought oh no we've got to change the format and Matt came up with the idea, why don't we do a horseshoe? And so we were all kind of looking at each other and the person at the front with the band as well. That was something that we tried and and changed, for example. It definitely it like definitely made it a little bit more less yeah, less formal. I think that was the issue, wasn't it? It was It's a good point actually, Joel, because as you start doing things, that's you can talk about as much as you want in a lounge room, mm. but actually after you start doing it, that's when you work out what works. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But we did find also that it was a challenge for the hour service to start off with. And one of, one of my weaknesses is I can talk a bit too long in a sermon. <laughs> so, you know, so I had to be a bit more disciplined with that. And, yeah, there was a few things around that. Was, that was there feedback, people saying that an hour is not long enough or an hour is too short? It's, it's, it's a bell curve on anything. Yeah. Some people would like more time. Some people would like even less time. But the majority of people were saying – if we're going to add those two elements of coffee and dinner, it makes sense to have an hour because that, that works. If we can put the main elements of what we need to have in our gathering, 
in that in that hour we can do it um, because we didn't have to squeeze everything in to an hour service or an hour and a half service because we had those other things like i mentioned announcements before but we could just briefly talk about stuff to move on for the sake of brevity and then if we had other things we wanted to say about our community life together we could over dinner say hey everyone just a sec you know um, we announced tonight X, but hey, let's unpack that together. And we could even have a forum and a discussion about some of those things and get more feedback. So we found that quite dynamic. But what was really good too is new people who would come, the idea was that they would have a coffee and then they would sit with someone who had a coffee with them. And then after the service, if they wanted to hang around for dinner, that person could have a meal with them as well. So we found that when people did start coming after launch, that, that hour was really good because people were like, well, I'm coming along, check out a new thing. And if I don't like it, I can go. But if I do like it, I might hang around a bit and people could connect quicker because there was that more interaction. Is that um, taking from the previous idea that we've talked about, about irregulars and regulars? I can't remember who... Irregulars, yeah. Irregulars and regulars. Yeah, Oldenburg's third place theory talks about key things that all communities have. And one of the things that all communities tend to develop is that there's a group of regular people who come and set the culture. And if that's a... A healthy community it should be a place where irregular people can come and feel like they're not left out if they haven't decided they want to be part of the regular group so we did talk about that that we wanted to create a culture where we celebrated regulars and irregulars if people came once and they visited we wanted to be a blessing to them that night and uh, if they came a couple of times and then didn't come we wanted to be a blessing to them so yeah we did talk about that during that time of greenhouse before really launching yep was there Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we added to our initial group of 30 at that time. And I think there was a way that you actually said that, oh, well, we're not going to keep it at 30 for the moment. And then what was, how was your kind of reaction to those people who were like saying, oh, I want to join this yeah, plan? Yeah. There, there was, up until about July, we, we wanted to just, you know, there were a few people who inquired, oh, could we come along and join the launch team? And we, we got advice from various people to say, look, just get you, yourselves in into a pattern to start off with of what you think the DNA of the church is going to be before you get too big. Um, so we did we did sort of stick to 30 till around July. But then after July, as more people did come along and ask, could they come along to Soul Revival? We weren't going to turn people away, but we also wanted to make sure that if someone was going to come and join us, they did think through that they wanted to join us. And they also thought about if they were coming from another church, that they left that other church well. And so, again, I got some advice about this that, yeah, you can't turn people away when they come along and say they want to come to church. You can ask them to think really carefully about whether it's the best for the gospel to come along or it's best for the gospel to stay where they are. And so to do that, what we did with people who came and approached us and said that they'd like to come is I said, well, why don't you come along and talk to us? We'll have a talk about the church, then go away and pray about it. And if they came back and said, yeah, we want to still come along to Soul Revival, I said the same thing again. Yeah, go away and pray about it one more time. And if they came a third time and said they wanted to still be a part of it, even though they've thought about it and prayed about it, I asked them to go away one more time and talk to the church if they were from another church and pray about it one more time. So we, we asked people to pray about it three times before we said, okay, you can come along before we launch live to the church. Because over that period of time, we would have had probably another 40 or maybe 50 people come and approach us and say they'd like to join Soul Revival Church. So that by the time we did launch, we probably had about 80 people who were uh, in, the, in the church by the time we 
launch live. So yeah. having to, it's not really turning people away, but having to say we really need to be careful with this. Does that create like any kind of conflict? Well, some people thought we were saying that we didn't want them to no, come. Yeah, you were saying and, no. And I, I tried to be really clear about that. I'm, I'm, I was saying, look, we just want you to think through what's best for the gospel, and to be thinking about the church you're coming from as well. Because there was a bit of controversy about our church plant, as many church plants have controversy, and there were people who agreed with us planting in Kirawee to reach out to this new group in this new development, but then there were other people that weren't so sure that was a great idea. So we wanted to be a church amongst churches, and we wanted to be working in an ecosystem of churches and bless other churches and work together, not compete with other churches. So I suppose we were just trying to say, we're, we're not standing up here planting a church and pretending we're the greatest new thing. Everyone should join. Everyone should be like us or you know, everyone should join because this is the great. We were recognising there are a lot of great churches around our area, but in an area where there's 260,000 people who don't go to church and only between 1% and 4% of people go to church, there was a need for more ministry. So we were also saying to people when they come and talk to us, we would really like you to think about if you come along, we'd love you to come along as someone who is coming along not to be a consumer but to be a servant, not to be thinking individualistically but to think how can I work together with this team to reach out to more people for the, for the gospel and also um, that I might that I might make this something that would be a low-key long-term relational aspect of my life that I have priority for. So that that's why we did it that way, yeah. No, that makes sense because it's also important to see if people are truly on board or if it's just they're looking for the latest thing maybe. or Well, yeah, that... that that's right too. Uh, because it was a new thing, we mm. didn't want to look like we were this new flashy thing because we were just another church. So, yep. So, really, the 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 main thing they're actually talking about is actually preparing to launch. Yep. So the launch night at President Avenue Community Church. Uh, I remember there being a lot of people. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. yeah. What um What are your memories of that night? I remember. I might be wrong. Might be a manufactured memory, but I think there was something like 120 people because yeah. the 80 people had asked some of their friends and family. Some people from Guy Anglican Church came along yeah, to celebrate supporters. as well, and it was a lovely night. And it was actually really exciting because we decked it out with you know lots of decorations and things. And I still remember people putting up things and stuff. And there was a lot of buoyancy, a lot of lot of excitement. And uh, Bruce Hall came, who's, who was the head of ENC at the time, and he spoke and he challenged us to make sure that we put mission first and that we were doing this church so that we could reach people who don't already go to church, which we'd put a lot of thought into. And what I remember about the night, which was wonderful, is the kids all the way through to people in their 70s were in a church together. We were an all-age, all-stage church, and all that planning, God blessed it, and it came together. And, and it worked. The coffee worked, the service worked, the dinner, the kids' chill, the kids' teaching time. And the dinner afterwards was just like a big uh, family street big or a feast. Big, big family feast or a big street party. It <laughs> yeah. was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I really love that night. I mean, I think I remember having to eat my dinner outside because yeah. there wasn't enough room. Yeah, there, you would so. have. Yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was a really special night because it was like a combination of something that we had decided to do. Mm. And it was really cool to see so many people being keen to support us for that. Mm. So. Um, we'll leave it there for like launching a church, but for next week, next episode, I should say, we're going to look at how from the launch time we decided we what the decisions we made to keep establishing the church and yeah. and all that kind of thing. But we do have some questions. Yep, uh, two actually this week. Um, we've got one from uh, Steve, who wrote into you and said uh, his main question is how would you go about moving a church from a standard three congregations to an all age all stage setup. 
Um, he'd like to find that out for his patch of Sydney where he's actually a minister. Because he says uh, they have a prayer book gathering and two family meetings, um, which have like various different um, demographics and all that kind of thing. But he actually has authority over the he has a 415 service Mm -hmm. and the youth ministry so he wants to work out how to bring those kind of shock absorber all age all stage principles to bear on those uh, ministries that he's working with what kind of advice Mm. would you have for him in an existing church i think the starting point is to have a good good conversation with uh the senior leadership of the church and just let them know that you're interested in having an experiment and if the church is interested in having an experiment together to build a bridge to the new reality so that if it doesn't work, you can come back over that bridge to what you were doing and it wasn't wasn't wrecked. So my thought is what we used to call a greenhouse that we now we, you know we now look at and see how we workshop soul revival. Um, I think if a church put in place some kind of workshop that they actually workshopped an idea for some kind of all-age, all-stage gathering within the context of what was already happening, that would be a really good way to go. And if, for example, the leadership of the church and the congregation, after a conversation together, talked about the fact that they were willing to experiment with something like a 415 service to keep all the services running as they are, but then to maybe ask a few people from different generations to come together and to uh, do that workshop or that greenhouse together to plan out what they might do and take a bit of time to do it, take a few months to talk it through. Mm-hmm. And then after they've talked it through, just to try it, practice it. And then if, if that worked, then you've built a new reality. But if it doesn't, you could still just go back to what the church was doing. I think it'd be hard. It'd be difficult in a certain situation where people are used to doing something that's always been there for so long. And then yeah. to change it so radically can always kind of be a little bit difficult to upset yeah, a few yeah. people sometimes. And I, and I think in that conversation, Joel, you've made a good point. Because if you talk about the why, why are we doing this? It's so that we can grow mission and discipleship in our area and that it might be really effective to share in that conversation how an all-age, all-stage church makes mission more effective. How does it make discipleship more effective? Well, the second one's fairly clear because if you have an all-age, all-stage church, you get older people in proximity with younger people in safe ways so that they can be ministering to each other and that increases discipleship realities. Uh, Missional realities, well, one of the things that I've learned over the years in the Sydney area where we are is that 75% of people who live in Sydney who call themselves Christians, uh, statistics suggest that 75% of Christians became a Christian in their teenage years. So youth ministry is really important. But if you have a think about it, if, if all these new Christians are becoming Christians, where do they bring their unbelieving families? So if someone like yourself who became a Christian with, with unbelieving parents... If all you've got to bring them to is a youth service, they might not really want to go to a youth service. But if you become a Christian through the youth ministry and then you can say to your parents, hey, come along and check out church because there's lots of different ages here. You can ask your grandparents, your aunties, your uncles. So I think that increases our missional potential. And we found that, which we'll talk about in later episodes, that mission through the all-age, all-stage church and discipleship gets stronger. So having that conversation helps people go, oh, okay, I might be interested in experimenting, doing something new. For the sake of the gospel, yeah, that's cool, and obviously something to really pray about too. If that's oh, 100 percent, yeah. Um, so hopefully that answers your question, Steve. Uh, we have another question from Riley who wrote in last week as well. He's very uh, complimentary of you, Stu. He says <laughs> Stu is a genius and a multi-talented man who's also a doer, and he balances tensions without breaking them. Uh, how transportable are the ideas without such a kind of leader like Stu to make them happen? Happy, happen. Sorry. 
Well, that was very flattering, Riley. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the exciting thing about doing new things is we can do it together in teams. And I think that we can look for people who can complement us. And if we can get a group of people, and this is what was great about Matt and I being the founding pastors of Soul Revival, is we complemented each other. It was actually, uh, even though I'm, I'm um, thinking back over the years, and it's you know it's, it's about eight years ago now. I still remember really clearly that Matt and I were doing things together. So it wasn't just one person leading a church; it was actually two two people working together to their strengths. And I think that's the transportable thing from Soul Revival. So having two people who can do different things that can support the growth of a church is is how I think leadership works really well if you can achieve it that way. So that that would be my advice. And uh, I would suggest that another thing is to try and raise up leaders that fill in those gaps that you don't, like yeah, you probably yeah. personally can't fill in yourself or don't have a strength to. I couldn't have started Soul Revival Church without Matt and Lauren. Like we worked so well together as a team. And then the launch team, same thing. Like we had a great launch team where there were, and, and that's why we were talking about having a diversity of the leadership team in those service teams, but still thinking of ourselves as one team because, you know, we couldn't have done uh, all the things we did without Jenny who was running the kids' ministry. And, you know, my mum, Bev, put a hand up to look after the food. And people were saying when we first started, how are we going to feed 30 people? And then they said, oh, surely we can feed 30 people now, but how are we going to feed 80 people? And then we fed 80 people and so on and so on. And um, just before COVID, we were feeding 450 people a week. And those things were scalable because Bev worked out how to make those things scalable. So that that's, uh, that's why I so love teamwork in Christianity in church planting yeah that's cool um well we heard it there from the genius himself <laughs> um we'll leave it there but thank you very much Stu, for yeah, another no uh, very interesting and fun podcast and we'll be back with another episode very soon thank you thanks joel